Welcome to Living Proof, the podcast series of the University at Buffalo School of Social Work at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. We're glad you could join us today. The series Living Proof examines social work research and practice that makes a difference in people's lives. I'm your host, Ajua Robinson, and I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a new feature of Living Proof. In addition to listening, subscribing to, and sharing podcasts, you can now rate and write a review of each episode of Living Proof. To rate or write a review of a podcast, just go to our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu forward slash podcast and click on the create your own review button. We look forward to hearing from you. Greetings from sunny Buffalo. I'm your host, Peter Sabota. This is the third of a three-part episode in which Dr. Moyi Lee discusses her research and clinical work bridging social work practice and an integration of Eastern philosophy and practice with traditional Western approaches to client change. Dr. Moyi Lee is professor of social work at the College of Social Work at The Ohio State University. Her research interests include intervention research using a strength-based perspective and solution-focused approach, as well as multicultural social work practice and education. In this final episode, Dr. Lee addresses some of the challenges and opportunities of the integrative approach for social work. She explores some of the common misunderstandings and misperceptions about meditation and Eastern practices and the role that education and information can play in an accurate understanding of these practices. Here, Dr. Lee discusses issues of empowerment, helping people to help themselves, and the role of complementary interventions in this area to increase our knowledge base for social work practice. Elaine Hammond, coordinator of the UB School of Social Work's Jamestown, New York Extension Program, spoke with Dr. Lee by telephone. What kind of issues have you found in your work with integrative treatment? What kind of barriers and opportunities have you had? Mm, um, going back to when we actually integrate you know, techniques or philosophies or beliefs, what are the opportunities and what might be the challenges? Let me talk about the challenges first, and then I'll talk about the opportunities. <laughs> yes, because then we can end on strengths, and strengths is a good place to be. One thing is people are not familiar. Now I can just use meditation as an example. I remember, you know, talking to take very, very cautious at the very beginning during the recruitment. We have the orientation meeting, etc. So I share with them meditation is a practice, and we're not into any religion. We're not into religious conversion at all. You know, that's not the interest. We're using meditation as a treatment. Some clients later on they share with me that the family actually stopped them, tried to stop them participating. When they talk to the family, even though they're in a residential treatment setting, they still have contact with families, and they actually stopped them saying that they'll go to hell if they participate in the program because meditation is from Buddhism or or Hinduism or some Eastern religion, etc., etc. And so that is clearly, if you talk about challenges, like to talk in terms of practice and also maybe later on in terms of research and, and, and other stuff. And so in terms of practice, yes, it's there. There are misconceptions, there are myths. And on the other side, I also have clients that share with me they look forward to this program uh, so much that when, because for this cohort, there's a little delay. At the beginning, we think we, start, we will start in January and then we start in February. 
And one client even shared with us like she even got into depression because she has so much hope in the program. And then、uh-huh. we have to say we have to come in a month later. She got so disappointed that, of course, there are many other things going on as well. I'm thinking exactly. You already described one of the major challenges. People sometimes they have misconception, myths, and negative feeling about、uh-huh. Eastern practice because they're different. Some other they think they're so exotic and so helpful that they、uh-huh. have over expectation. I think one of the major thing is really about. This one is more about education and information. And what I find out is we need to really prepare the client and people to know what that is. And and of course, you know, on our side is we need to be very careful about what do we choose. Also, a lot of the practice now meditation, as I have mentioned, even in Catholicism, we also have that tradition also. But if you bring it back, it's actually about a discipline of the mind, and it's basically a technique, a process. So what, whatever you add to it, it can be different. I mean, Catholic probably think about different thing, right? Than a monk meditating.、Uh-huh. I think at the client level, one thing I try to do is to really be very careful at the very beginning in terms of education, etc., etc. And it's the same thing about many other you know integrative body, mind, spirit. You know, social work. One thing,、um, I won't go into all the details because it's not a book. But we do have very careful criteria to select what we include or exclude. We do have、um, principles because、mm-hmm. once we go into holistic approach, the good thing is that you know we expand ourselves, and then we can utilize other modalities、mm-hmm. to work with clients that are more consistent with what people are. But on the other hand, if we let that door open. Anything can come in. Also, ethics become a very important issue. How do you screen that helpful? And so we talk about non-intrusive. We talk about things that a client can self-administer. We have a list of criteria in terms of our selection and in terms of the ethics. The book that we describe it also. I think when I look at you know the cultural differences or differences between. Um, different culture, East and West, etc., etc. When I think of integrated social work, actually, I already assume that there are cultural differences, and I'm not going to deny, you know, it's there. However, I actually make the assumption that people can learn from each other. There are empirical evidence showing the effectiveness. So, one major important thing about integrated social work is we want to demystify. Body, mind, spirit practice, and so we always go back to research and evidence. We don't want to just let open the door and you know anything can come in you know with that attitude. What I'm thinking is the fundamental assumption about change, or at least the defining characteristic that I have described you know early on in our conversation.、Mm-hmm. I think those are universal. Body, mind, spirit are fundamental domains, and we can use them in you know, in our work with people, like you know strength space. Like we believe in, you know, the movement, you know, to create change in life. Yes. This kind of thing, I definitely believe that they are universal. However, the techniques about how to get there, I think there's a lot of cultural differences there, and I think it's just natural. I can give you some. I mean, when I trying to prepare, you know, for this conversation, I'm just thinking. Now, MIH right now, they talk about translational science. It's so big on MIH now. And they have the recovery bill. They have a lot of program announcement that focus just on translational science, how to upload approaches that they have developed into practice setting, into reality. 
And so I'm thinking, even their approach developed here in the West, they still go through this major hurdle, you know, trying to translate them into practice. Now, of course, just to be realistic, meditation or any kind of techniques from other places learn these approaches. But the process of translating them into our practice with our client, I mean, we need to put in some effort and thinking to do that. I think there are people already doing that, and I can give you some examples, like, you know, mindful eating, something that people have used already here. Yes, with yeah. good success in the eating disorders domain. In Hong Kong or in the East, they use rice. Here, they actually use raisins. It's just because it's different. People eat different food. And so what I'm trying to say is the technique is helpful, but how to use them effectively with our client, we need to think about it carefully. Just for meditation, again, in the East, when people meditate, they actually cross the leg in a lotus position. Now, in our meditation study, there might be two or three clients who actually do that. But most of them just sit on a chair. And it's okay. What I'm thinking is, like, you know, there are differences. My attitude is I won't deny the differences. But let's face it directly and see how we can, you know, still think about the principle and look at the techniques and see how we can translate them in a helpful way. So I think your student or whoever going to use integrative social work in the practice, I think they will need to know the accents of the approach and the techniques very well. But then they also need to know the client, their culture, and then we need to be a bridge in the process. As a social work professional, we need to do the bridging work in making the approach very effective you know, with the people. And I think it happened to any other approach also, like what you have just mentioned. We also, you know, use a lot of body process techniques. I mean, chapter six is the whole chapter. In traditional Chinese medicine, they use acupuncture. Now, of course, we won't use acupuncture because it's too intrusive. We use acupressure. You just press on the point. We're trying to make sure that things you know, that we can use easily and some, and that also proves to help with emotion or mental health. Like for anxiety, you know, clients who are very anxious, we actually ask the client to press between the, the thumb and the second finger, you just press on the, I mean, the, the area in between very tightly for like maybe just a 60 seconds to calm down the person. Now, not because it's magic, but just because the meridian trillions are an aspect of our you know, emotion. And so, I mean, these are really simple things, but it's also very empowering for the client also because when clients are very panicked, if they know there is something that they can use, it's like an anchor, yes. and they just learn it. So they it becomes part of, now, of course, we still need to use whatever therapy, that I mean, cognitive behavioral, solution focus, or whatever, to work with them to process what's going on. But in order to give them a tool to calm down and to think and to talk. That is one of the major purpose for me to follow, I mean, to devote or to commit to, you know, the approach is because I really think people need help, of course, but we also, but it's more important to help people to bring out their potential so that they don't need to depend on others, but they, they know how, what are the things that they can do to actually help themselves in the way. Not to the exclusion that they don't need help oftentimes, but they have a tool. They're part of the process. I think when we talk about empowerment, I think, you know, that's what, you know, it's all about. And I'm so glad, you know, your, your, your department actually, you know, making you the focus because, you know, there's so much discussion around 
I mean, right now, around a lot of the stuff that we are seeing is really related to trauma. They might not develop PTSD, but it's related to some of the experience that people have, and they still got stuck and trying to resolve them. But going back to you know your question, the other thing may be academic resistance, because what I've talked about is really about at the practice level with the client, with the treatment. I think I'm I'm pretty lucky in some way. I think I begin doing this line of research at a time when people are more open to it. I remember talking to somebody, it's actually um, Alan Marlott, and he you know, did work using meditation with substance abuse, and also prisoner also. And he told me that in 1970s, there's so much, let me see, negative feelings or perception mm-hmm. about holistic approach that he said, you can never even use the word mindfulness. It's already too controversial or too unscientific, whatever. And so, but at this time, my my experience has not been bad at all. No, ODMH support the study. We got a lot of attention. Actually, just last week, on how Department of Mental Health, they invited me and my team to go over and to share the study with them, and they're very interested in what we're doing. Oh, wonderful. And so, yeah. And also, you know, right now we have the National Center of Complementary and Alternative Medicine provide support to this type of studies. And so in terms of academic resistance, I'm sure there there will be, you know, and there are, and there are always backlash. I also heard things that at my age, you know, people have different conversations about how effective are all this, you know, alternative stuff, you know, with cancer and other illness also. In some way, I do anticipate resistance to, you know, a new approach. And I don't necessarily see it as a bad thing because I think people should be suspicious about anything that's new, especially different from conventional practice, you know, and for good reason also. But I also see that just a window for change because there's a lot more openness. And then maybe it, it might be a good transition to talk about how I think about the opportunities. I do think there are opportunities because when I think about it, I think the first thing is really doing research. National Center on I already mentioned MIH already have a center, you know, focused on this area. But I think there are primarily two types of research that need to be accomplished, need to be done, mm-hmm. doctoral student, whatever. The first one definitely is intervention research. Develop approach like in this approach, you know, we did study with it or meditation, we're doing study with it now. Now, so these are intervention research. I think it's really important. I have students already integrating yoga mm-hmm. and meditation. Mm-hmm. with a group of teenage girls who are in residential treatment and have severe emotion and behavioral disorder. And so it's a small study. Everything's, I mean, take of, I mean, have to begin somewhere. At the beginning, the intervention research, I imagine, would be small, not a big one. But I also think there's, it's so important to have the, I mean, the power of number. I don't think we have a lot of studies in this area right now in social work. And so the first thing I would encourage in terms of opportunity for student or practitioner or scholar who are interested you know, in this area is just to do it. Don't think about too many things. Just do it, you know. No study, we can always do it on our own. And then mm-hmm. getting the pilot data, you know, there'll be a next step to get some state level funding or, you know, federal level funding. So that will be. But the other thing I also think is we need also basic research. I really refer to mind-body connection or spirituality or this kind of stuff. 
It's almost like MRI study on meditation, looking at the neurological impact of meditation on different aspects of health or mental health or different things. I think, you know, we also need a basic research to strengthen our knowledge base Mm -hmm. for this kind of approach working with people. Do you think both for the intervention, basic research, there's a lot of opportunities there. In terms of practice, I really think we don't have enough people working in this area. (laughs) We have people, but we don't have enough, a large number of people doing that to develop treatment models, to do more training, to consult yes. with people, because we need that. Our group is still pretty small. We're not a huge group at this point. And so I definitely look for people who are interested to basically, you know, of course, you know, we need to look into our social work profession, our code of ethics and everything. But under that umbrella or the rubric, we develop different training model, consulting with different agencies, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully this approach will bring really bring some more impact into our field and share with the audience at the very beginning, try to bring back some balance to mm-hmm. our work in our development so that we are better helper. I really believe if we're able to be mindful about what's going on now instead of being like, you know, being so together with so many other things that happen, that will happen in the future or they already have in the past, I think that ability will help us to make better choices. Even as a researcher, as a faculty, I'm a faculty, you know, student, as a practitioner, I mean, as anybody. I think there are something in the whole idea or the whole philosophy that will bring some benefit to, to our lives. Any last words that you'd like to fit in before we end? Maybe one last thing I just want to emphasize. Integrative social work really try to build upon existing social work practice. So we're not getting rid of anything that people already been doing or they already have the expertise. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very important attitude that we have is we always utilize whatever we have. It builds upon whatever expertise, you know, we already have, but try to integrate and bring back the other dimension that is missing. But that is also, we see that is a need in our coin also to bring it back to attain the balance. And so that, I guess, will be one last thing that I would like to share with the audience. Not getting rid of anything that you already knew, just bring more. Mm-hmm. and integrated in a useful way. Thank you. That's an excellent final point. Thank you so much. Very welcome. Thank I you. really enjoyed the opportunity to share with you and also the audience at Buffalo. You've been listening to Dr. Mo Yi Lee discuss an integrative mind, body, and spirit approach to social work assessment and treatment on Living Proof, the podcast series at the UB School of Social Work. Hi, I'm Nancy Smith, Professor and Dean at the University at Buffalo School of Social Work. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about who we are, our history, our programs, and what we do, we invite you to visit our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. At UB, we are living proof that social work makes a difference in people's lives.